This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. This is going to be the third of five programs Mr. Miller and I are trying to put together, despite being five time zones apart. As one might imagine, this creates a certain number of difficulties, which we are doing our best to work through for you, dear listener. We think of this as kind of a, a weekly duty. I believe this is show number 637 today which means that, yes, we are in our lucky 13th year of broadcasting here. While we know we won't be here forever, we're going to do our best to be here for a bit longer and do what we've been doing for 13 years. And I think the first thing we'll do for this program, which not coincidentally is the first thing we do to start every program, is to take a look at this date in history. Our date today is the 11th of September. Yes, I know for a lot of you that date, September 11th, hmm, that's bound to ring a few bells. But uh, before we talk about more recent history, let's go back in time a bit to note that it was on September 11th in the year 1777 that General George Washington threw his ragged army against the British at Brandywine Creek near Wilmington, Delaware during the American Revolutionary War. The British forces, under General Charles Cornwallis, crushed the Americans who were lucky to escape in any kind of semblance of order. In the long run, of course, it was General Washington who would triumph over General Cornwallis. Twelve years later on this date, now President of the United States, George Washington, appointed his stalwart secretary, Federalist Alexander Hamilton, to serve as this nation's first Secretary of the Treasury. And in an extremely peripheral connection to this week's program, we should note that uh, Alexander Hamilton was born and raised on the island of Nevis, which I believe Mr. Merlin is looking out his window at as we speak. It was on September 11th in 1857 that Mormon pioneers, stoked by religious zeal and hostility from decades of public abuse and federal interference, murdered 120 immigrants to the U.S. West in Mountain Meadows, Utah. For many years, the LDS Church denied that the Mountain Meadows Massacre had taken place at all. But more recently in their history, they have owned up to this sad chapter, which had been well documented by contemporary writers, including Mark Twain. On September 11, 1973, Chile's armed forces staged a coup against President Salvador Allende who was the first democratic elected Marxist leader in Latin America. Allende would die in the coup, and Augusto Pinochet would be installed as president. The U.S. government had a very significant role to play in the Chilean coup. The Central Intelligence Agency worked tirelessly to undermine the regime of Salvador Allende, stirring economic discord, and actually arranging the assassination of Chilean leaders they felt weren't playing ball actively enough. One of the CIA instigators of trouble in Chile, David Atlee Phillips, would later surface as one of the people in the CIA manipulating Lee Harvey Oswald, the alleged assassin of President John F. Kennedy. 
And finally, on this snake-bitten day in world history, it was on September 11th in 2001, the two airliners hijacked by Al-Qaeda flew in to New York City's World Trade Center Towers number 1 and 2, causing the both of them to collapse with a great loss of life. Despite the fact that 15 of the 19 hijackers were Saudi Arabian, the Saudi government to this day has never been called on the carpet for the action of so many of their citizens. And no, we're not going to go into the September 11th attacks, any kind of great deal for today's program. I think what I'll simply do is refer you back to our archives at radioparallax.com for a, an extension of that story of September 11th, which was our interview with CIA agent Gary Bernson about his book, Jawbreaker, which described how Osama bin Laden had been cornered at Tora Bora, yet somehow still managed to escape. We do want to take a moment to just digress slightly about the fact that one of the reasons cited by Osama bin Laden for the September 11th attacks was the mistreatment of the Palestinians at the hands of the Israelis and the U.S. unstinting support of that same Israeli government. It is disturbing for us to note that 13 years later the Israeli government has still not been reined in when it comes to the abuse of the Palestinian people as witnessed in Gaza most recently. Yes, it's true that Hamas and some of the uh, radicals on the Palestinian side are not without blame in this cycle of violence in the Middle East. And we do want to note that one reason for this most recent outbreak of violence was that last time there was a peace agreement, which was back in 2012 between the Israeli government and Hamas, Israel was supposed to lift the blockade against Gaza and did not do so. Gaza has been described by many as the world's largest open-air prison, and we think that's, unfortunately, an accurate description. That opinion, by the way, we hasten to note, does not necessarily represent those of KDBS, its sponsors, or the University of California. They are simply the opinion of the producers of this program. And I think we'll take our quote, our quip, and our joke of the week for this week's program from Joan Rivers, who passed away this past week. In so many ways, Joan Rivers was one of those classic stories about someone seeking success and power and show business and what that takes to achieve. She certainly made a name for herself with her sometimes vicious tongue. At the same time, over the years, she had an encyclopedic collection of jokes, quips, humor, etc. And in reviewing some of those, in the wake of her passing, I must say, this correspondent laughed very hard on many occasions. So let us start with our quote of the week from Joan Rivers, which was, I learned to appreciate landmark moments, like the Emmy I won in 1990, one of the best moments in my career. Unfortunately, when I went to pawn it, it turned out not to be gold. Our quip of the week, also from Joan, is that... Uh, these days, for birth control, I just leave the lights on. And our joke from Joan is that I blame my mother for my poor sex life. She told me that the man goes on the top and the woman's on the bottom. For three years, we slept in bunk beds. And, uh, oh, oh, hell, let's, let's take an anecdote from the life of Joan Rivers also, shall we? Rivers was famous for the fact that nothing was sacred with her. And after her late 
husband and business partner died from committing suicide, I guess in despondency over some of the failures of, uh, of Joan professionally. She said, after Edgar killed himself, I went out to dinner with Melissa. I looked at the menu and said, if daddy were here to see these prices, he'd kill himself all over again. All right, our stat of the week comes from thewire.com. In reference to our previous conversation here, it notes that about 17,000 apartments and homes which housed up to 400,000 people in Gaza, were destroyed in the seven-week war between Hamas and Israel. And no, I can't think of any way to make that funny. For our good news of the week, though, we do have something that might cheer you up a bit. Evidently, a new surgical procedure being tested in the UK uses a tiny implant to change the shape of the cornea and improve our natural focus on close-up objects. It's been developed in the U.S., by researchers at Revision Optics in California. The raindrop inlay, which is no larger than the head of a pin, is inserted into the cornea. The procedure is said to be virtually painless, takes about 10 minutes to complete, and if approved by the FDA, could replace LASIK surgery as the most practical long-term solution to presbyopia, which means uh, old vision, which is the natural flattening of the lens, that occurs with aging. And we should note here we're talking about the cornea not the lens in the eye. Uh, as we age our lenses which are inside the eye get stiffer and they don't flex as we hope they would as an object moves closer and puts its focus basically out the back of our eye. What we do when we are younger is have our lenses flex a little more and pull that image forward and onto the retina where it's supposed to be. You can also do some visual correction with the cornea, which in fact is the workhorse of the focusing of our eye. It does more of the bending of light rays than, than the lens, despite of what you might think. So I gotta tell you, having a bit of presbyopia myself, I'm kind of excited by this, uh, this story. The, these devices are made from hydrogel, uh, which is the same water-based substance used in contact lenses but it's more compatible with the eye than previous implants. So uh, the story could really turn out to be some very good news. Another bit of good news we had recently, which kind of surprised me, was that uh, as August turned to September, it was noted that here in the Davis-Sacramento area, we only had one day in the entire month of August, which hit triple digits. Oh, which for those of you who use the Celsius system, works out to about 38 degrees. I was amused to note that our Australia correspondent, uh, Pamela Taylor, was talking about, uh, somewhere on Facebook, I think it was, about the inferiority of uh, the English system. But I have to defend it when it comes to temperatures. Having something be triple digits when it gets above body temperature really gives you the idea that it's gotten into a new realm of uncomfortableness. Plus, one degree Celsius equals 1.8 degrees of Fahrenheit, meaning a degree in Fahrenheit is quite a bit more precise. So we'll give you the fact that ounces, pints, quarts, gallons, etc. isn't as convenient as liters, but when it comes to temperatures, frankly, I'm sticking with Fahrenheit. And by the way, since I found out while working a summer job as a student at UC Davis many moons ago, this job involved marking a quarter mile off by pacing, I discovered that uh, it so happened that, in my own case, like that of a Roman legionnaire, pacing off a thousand steps, or rather a thousand paces, did mark off one mile exactly. 
So for me personally, I, I say screw kilometers per hour. Don't, don't send me any hate mail on that one, okay? I mean, you know, have a little fun with this one, and, but, but you know, I am serious. You, of course, are free to disagree. I think at this point we should move into the good, the bad, and the ugly. last week for single men. After what's described as a feminist commune in Brazil that is populated by 600 women appealed for bachelors to move into the town. Said Nelma Fernandez, age 23, I haven't kissed a man for a long time. It was on the other hand a bad week for one-upmanship after a Belgian man got knocked unconscious after a friend dropped 400 gallons of water on him from a firefighting plane as part of the so-called ice bucket challenge. Said a witness, they obviously miscalculated how much water it was. And it was an ugly week last week, although I think this took place a couple weeks ago as we talked about it a few weeks ago, but I guess it became official last week. So let's say it was an ugly week last week for journalism after Chelsea Clinton announced that she was leaving her, quote, special correspondent, unquote, job with NBC News, where she was paid $600,000 a year, which does work out to 14 times the average reporter's salary, even though Chelsea had no journalistic experience and filed only a handful of reports. Radio Parallax does extend an open invitation for Chelsea Clinton to join our team on an unpaid basis. We'll see how that goes. And finally, from the week's Only in America file, which I think we might refile under the WTF question mark file, or maybe it's the Your Tax Dollars at Work file, we have this item. The federal government has spent almost $3 million since 2011 on scientific studies aimed at understanding why Nearly three-quarters of adult lesbians are either overweight or obese, whereas most gay males are not. One paper published last year concluded that gay males, quote, had a greater desire for toned muscles, unquote, while another report said many lesbians lack, quote, athletic self-esteem, unquote. Are we sure they even got their stats correct on this? I don't know. And do we really have to spend tax dollars for whatever cockamamie answer for why this gets discovered? All right, what I think we're going to do at this point is go to break. We're going to take a break between segments. Let's do that. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. Short on your dough 